When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright everybody, welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck and I'm along with my co-worker, Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic and today we're here to talk about the NASCAR race at Martinsville, the Formula One race in Australia, and the Long Beach Grand Prix for IndyCar. And uh, first, of course, we're going to start with Martinsville because Jordan was there last night. We were recording this on a Sunday afternoon, not after the race like we usually do, because we want to include the F1 race and IndyCar in our podcast this week. We decided that before the Martinsville race turned out to be <laughs> one of the uh, all-time duds. Uh, Ouch! I'm glad we I'm glad we did did decide that, Jordan, because I don't know. I, we were we were messaging last night, and I don't know. You were pretty fired up justifiably so and i would have loved to have heard that last night it would have been tough it would have been late and would have made things a little complicated schedule wise but it would have been i'm great glad i hear. slept on it i'm glad i, was I had gonna say, i yeah. didn't say that last night but i did kind of want to i was kind of that was one of the reasons why i said hey let's push this to tomorrow was like let's just sleep on this that way you don't say anything you regret you're waking up the next morning going what what, what did i say who are you you need to go home now kind of thing <laughs> yeah, usually I don't have that luxury, and so uh, which maybe makes for a better podcast. I don't know, but um, depends on what side you're sitting on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, you know, even even after the benefit of a few hours sleep, because I stayed up very late to watch F1. I'm sure you did too. Um, and many many people seem like who are listening to the podcast uh, watched F1. I did like, hey, who's who's still up? And tons of people were watching it, but. So sleep deprived or, you know, whatever it's still, um, yeah, that race, it just, I mean, that was definitely easily the worst Martinsville race I've ever seen. And it's probably among, I don't want to go too far on my exagger on, on my exaggeration here, I guess, but, uh, it was probably in the top 10 worst cup races I've seen. I would think, I mean, I just, I think, and I, I the reason I say that is because, Part of it is the expectations, and, and yeah, you made 100%. this point on our Slack. I mean, you don't go to Martinsville thinking you're going to see a Brickyard 400-esque race where nothing really happens, you know, or some of those Brickyard 400s. I mean, you, you're, it's Martinsville. It's a short track. Like, this is going to be epic. This is going to be great. Um, Old school NASCAR, baby. And and it's it's going to be action. They're, they were cutting 100 laps off it. It's going to be even more go time urgency and all this stuff. And it's just, it just flopped, man. It's just, they, they couldn't race. It seemed like. No. And the spring Martinsville race has got, is, is not as good as people remember it. If you actually think about the last few years, I mean, people's memories of Martinsville are largely shaped by the fall playoff race, which is just usually zany and wild. And it's got championship implications. 
the spring race has been good, but it doesn't have a lot of those moments that we're talking about. And it has tended to be along green flag runs at times. Well, you know, not the bumping and beating kind of thing. Still very good, though. And last night was the antithesis of what you expect to see at Martinsville. And just there was none of that. It was like, tra- how? I mean, you're going to a short track at like Martinsville. And how many times do we hear about it? Track position, track position, track position. You know, Denny Hamlin had a great quote last night. Myself and Dustin Long from NBC Sports talked to him afterwards. And he's like, man, you know, I don't know if we can fix this. And I will tell you, like, if we come here in the fall and it's like this, forget about race setups. We're just going to focus on qualifying and making sure we qualify up front and then make sure that we're, and I just see you shaking your head and rubbing your eyes. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to go here in the fall. We're just going to focus on qualifying and making sure we're trying to be as perfect as we can on pit road, because that's, what's going to matter is track position. That That's not what you want to hear right here. This should be about, this is a driver's track. We talk about this, like this is a track where the best drivers tend to showcase their abilities and you can make up, any equipment deficiencies you have can can be overcome here by your ability. That wasn't the case last night. This was a grind it out. You just get in position and try to hold on, and wasn't good, Jeff. It, it, it was really really bad. Yeah, and uh, I I just finished reading your story from that had some driver reaction quotes on the athletic a little while ago, and uh, yeah, it seems like I mean they were you know, treading lightly, maybe biting their tongues a little bit, but I mean, you could see the sentiment was there. They, they knew it wasn't a good race. And, you know, we, you know, we've talked this year because we've been praising the racing with the next gen car. Um, you know, we, we always talk about what makes a good race, right? And it's, it's not necessarily the amount of cautions or the amount of lead changes. Um, but those two things can be indicative of a good or bad race. And when, especially when you put them together, Um, I think that they can really show you something. And so, you know, viewed from that lens, this race had four cautions. Two of them were for stage breaks and two of them were for cars that like slowed down. Like one was for Denny, uh, that they called a caution. He eventually stalled, I think on pit road, but he had not, I don't think he had stalled at the time. You know, he was slowing on the track and the other one was the late one that set up overtime with Todd Gilliland where he like, he kind of like hit the wall, but he kept going and they called a caution. I think they were very eager to call a caution at that point, obviously, but that was it. Nobody spun. Nobody, there was no multi-car wrecks. There was no, I mean, just, yeah, from that standpoint, a short track, you know, we kept saying, Oh man, this is really going to be a full contact race with these composite bodies and, all the stuff they're not going to cut tires down and you know, they're, they're really going to, this is going to be physical and they, they couldn't even really get that close to each other. It seemed like, um, you know, it was like an arrow race where they got stuck behind each other. Uh, that, that was bothersome. And then the other stat was the lead changes. Um, there was five lead changes in total, but three of those were during green flag pit stops. And the other one was on a, a pit road, um, during a caution which changed the lead from Chase Elliott, who led the first 185 laps to William Byron, who then dominated the rest of the race. And there was no passes for the lead, like on the track at all during the race. Um, I mean, it was just all pit road stuff. So, you know, when you take those two things together again, 
that's the kind of thing we, you know, you'd think we'd be talking about it like some sort of a Pocono race or, or something where, you know, although Pocono races have been way better than that recently. Um, so it just, nothing happened essentially is guess, I guess what I'm saying. And that's disappointing. And I felt really discouraged Jordan in the sense that I'm always hoping that NASCAR goes for more short tracks and I'm saying more short tracks, more short tracks. Like that's the you, best of NASCAR. Everyone, I think most everyone is. Well, not, not, not after this. <laughs> I mean, this really hurt the argument for that. And, and in fact, as much as I'm down on, on Bristol dirt, right. I, I was, I was sitting there thinking like, wow, uh, maybe it's a good thing. They're not running, uh, the, another short track race next week because you know, how, you know, I, I guess we almost took it. We, we thought it was going to be a given that like, Hey, wow, they, they've really made the intermediate tracks better with this next gen car. Um, it's, you know, a car designed for road courses and everybody was saying with the better brakes and all that stuff, it's, you know, the road courses or the short tracks, sorry, the short tracks are going to be great. Like we just accepted that. Like, I don't think we ever question, you know, I hope the road, the, the short tracks aren't going to be terrible. Uh, I hope they're not going to be ruined now. I mean, I, I never even considered that, but it seems to, I mean, if you look at Phoenix, which is kind of a short track, Phoenix wasn't as good of a race with this car. Richmond was, you know, about the same, but maybe even worse, um, it, you know, turned into a strategy race, nothing happened. And then Martinsville was obviously the worst that, that we've seen. So I don't know. It's kind of, just kind of sets off, uh, some alarm bells for me, Jordan. Yeah. I mean, the question it's not, to me, it's, it's more than just short tracks. It's short, flat tracks. There's not a lot of banking in any of those three tracks, Richmond, Phoenix, and Martinsville. I don't know what Bristol is going to be like when they go there in the fall. Um, I hope that because Bristol is banking, it, that it, it just adds an element to it. And, you know, and Bristol is multi-group. And so you, you might be able to see something. There. To me, the biggest takeaway last night was, well, first and foremost, what we talked about, which was the racing wasn't good. But where do you go from here? How do you fix this? It's not like there's one solution and talking to Danny it was like he was just like I don't know I don't know befuddled is the right word but just kind of at a loss for words on what to 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 do and should we do this can we do that and it's there's no really ready-made like okay we'll just go fix this we'll put all our efforts on this aspect of the car and, and make it better and when we come back here in the fall it'll be fine it was like no I mean it's you know is it the is it the tires you know there's, there's no rubber on the track um, is it the corner speed? Are they too fast in the corners? Is it the shifting? Uh, Ryan Blaney talked about that. Um, is it, you know, there's just, there's a litany of reasons and, and things that you could fix. And like, they just, there's no, I, how you go about doing that is, is going to be interesting. And, and Denny was almost at a loss for words of like, there, there's nothing you can do. So, you know, hopefully, NASCAR and the teams can get together and come up with something that, that the one thing that people kind of kept circling back to maybe a little bit is the, you know, uh, the engine setup and everything, maybe giving these guys a little bit more of the gear ratios and, and that kind of thing. But again, this is not, this is not easy. And we also number number two, there's a part shortage <laughs> and finding the parts and the pieces to, to put into place uh, the solutions for this, it is not easy as well. Yeah. Well, as you alluded to first, I need to figure out why this happened. Right. Um, and, and you mentioned, uh, 
several of the theories that people have. It doesn't seem from what I have gathered on Twitter and as well as, um, texting some drivers and some other people, uh, involved in the race. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a consensus on why this happened. Like, it's not just like, Hey, this package sucked and we need more horsepower. That would just fix it. Now that, that might help, right. If they had more horsepower, because obviously we know they went last year, both Martinsville races, um, had 15 cautions each and they had 750 horsepower. The 2019 races we know, uh, were not good when, when they had the 550 package at Martinsville, this was 670, but now it's a different car. So it's not, you know, like you said, is it the shifting? Is it the wider tire? Um, you know, the corner speeds, like you, you mentioned as well, like, you know, that's something we haven't seen there. Did that contribute to it? Because at Martinsville, you know, that's kind of where a lot of the action happens. They get kind of stacked up going in the corner. And, um, now you had other drivers as well who said, no, I didn't think it was a problem, you know, and I think if they just brought a different tire or if, if it wasn't so, wasn't so cold, it would have been fine. But I feel like there's been a lot of fall Martinsville races that have been pretty cold though. So I don't really know if I buy like the, Oh, it was just cold. And if they just, if it's not so cold next time, Phoenix wasn't cold. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point. And and Richmond was not balmy by any means, but it was warmer than last night at Martinsville. But you know, the, the track not taking rubber or not laying rubber, that was really odd. Um, obviously that, you know, there, there wasn't fall off. I, one of the drivers had messaged, I, I guess I probably shouldn't, I don't even want to get into specifics in case this was like proprietary information. But basically when you look at the tire fall off from last year's race, the tire fall off would fall off over, over a second, um, for like a, a 25 lap, 30 lap run. And it was barely doing that. It was barely getting into like the tenths of seconds, um, this, uh, for last night's race on, on the same similar length of a run. So, you know, they, they were saying that that, that was a, a reason they felt like, um, and maybe more horsepower would fix that because it might wear the tires out more. But, you know, I, I guess like you said with Denny saying what, you know, NASCAR's options are limited and that's, that's what's, and I'm not trying to be over dramatic about this one race, but I think that that's, that's what scares me about things because what, what do you do? Like, you, they're not going to go suddenly say, all right, um, let's go change all the engines before the fall Martinsville race or, or the next short track race or whatever. And let's, let's give them more horsepower again. I, I don't think they're going to do that. They're not going to change the parts and pieces on next gen car at this point, but they've got to do something. I mean, they can't, you know, even Clint Boyer on the broadcast in, you know, mid midway through the race was openly saying to Chad Knauss, all right, how do you fix this? You know, and they were talking about the ride height uh, thing. And, and, uh, but I mean, when, when you have the broadcast, when you have Mike joy, you know, you know, before stage two is even over saying chase Elliott's syncing up the show and you have the Fox broadcast saying, boy, this is not good. Essentially. Um, as much as they're trying to remain optimistic and focus that on something that might happen exciting, it's just, it's a sign that something's not right. And I, I just hope that they, I hope NASCAR can, I hope NASCAR doesn't brush over this and say, "Ah, oh, it was just you're going to have bad races sometimes." You know, cuz this this was more than that. This was a this was a sign of something's not right with this car and these tracks. You can't. 
And I don't think they will because I think the evidence that this wasn't just a bad race. This was a really bad race on a track where you don't really have bad races. And it's not just here. I mean, you go back to Richmond, you go back to Phoenix, there, there's a pattern developing. And that Patterson pattern is re- really worrisome because it is essential that when you come back here in the fall and your championship four field is determined at Martinsville, you have that show. You, you've got that, that, that race that people are excited about because this is on that list of, oh my goodness, I can't miss this race. And if that's a dud, that, that's a bad thing. I mean, that, that just puts you in a hole. And at, at this time, you can't, you can't be in that hole because you're, you need to do everything you can to continue this momentum that you've had. And this was a setback. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, Denny was optimistic that he goes back to last fall at Charlotte, at Charlotte. They had the first Charlotte test in November and it didn't go well. Right. The drivers weren't happy and, and teams weren't happy and NASCAR wasn't happy. And NASCAR came to the teams and said, okay, what can we do? And NASCAR basically said, figure this out. And the teams did. And NASCAR listened. And Denny says like, that's, maybe the only thing you can do is just lock everybody into a room and just try to figure this out. But it's, that's easier said than done because there's not one ready-made solution. And again, it goes back to parts and pieces and everything and, and figuring out the inventories uh, of what you have available and how you figure this out. And is one thing you do at Martinsville, is that going to impact what you do at Phoenix and Richmond as well? We still got New Hampshire out there as well. It's going to be interesting to see if that's a similar kind of race. Um, it is a smaller, short track, you know, smaller flat track. Um, we'll see. And I will say this too, like you talked about Pocono earlier, Jeff, that's a, that's a bigger track, but that's a flat track as well. To some degree is that, is there going to be a carryover there, even though there's going to be more speeds and everything, you know, there's, there's just a lot there. There's, there's a lot of unknowns right now and there's a lot more questions than answers. And it's going to be fascinating to see how over the next few months things come together because the next short track race is Richmond in August. Then you've got Bristol in September, and then obviously Martinsville and then the Phoenix, let's not discount too. The championship is decided at Phoenix and you can't have, you, you have to have a good show there. You're right. Because I, it's potential. I mean, there's, there's the potential that it's a different conversation. If Martinsville and Phoenix weren't such important races, like with Richmond, you know, that was a, you know, a strategy race. Was, as we talked about last week, you know, there wasn't a lot of action there, but NASCAR's now moved it to August, the second race. It's not the regular season cutoff. It's not a playoff race. So maybe you can look at that and go, ah, you know, we're not going to change something just to, just because this wasn't good. But when you have Martinsville and Phoenix in really marquee situations, um, in, in the spotlight, and it's, you're really hanging a lot of your playoffs and your season on those, you better make sure they're good. Um, I felt kind of bad because um, Nando DeFino, who is our fantasy sports slash betting editor here at The Athletic, we work with him every week to do these um, NASCAR uh, gambling previews, and we give our picks and all that stuff, and he asked us questions. And he's a new NASCAR fan. He's just started to get into it this year, and he's been asking us questions about how things go. He's, he's really expressed a lot of interest. And I said, Nando, um, you gotta, you gotta watch this Martinsville race. I mean, this Martinsville race is going to be great. It's going to be, if you, if you've been interested in some of these races this year, this is one 
don't miss this. Don't, you know, you got to sit down and watch this one. And I just felt, I just felt bad. I was just like, man, <laughs> I mean, what a miss, uh, by me on that one. But again, you just kind of, with the way that next gen had been performing, even at the Coliseum, I thought the Coliseum was a pretty decent race. Yeah. Um, a completely flat track, short track. Now, yeah. you know, that was maybe because they had never raced that car before and they were all figuring it out on the fly, but it was also a much shorter track, you know, a, a quarter mile where full contact, I mean, you almost had to bump somebody to pass like, and it was full contact racing and maybe, you know, so that, yeah, I, I think it probably led us down a road that we look back now and on and go, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I, it certainly did for me and I, I'm not going to sit here and, uh, and try to claim that I saw this coming in any way. Cause I, I was really optimistic and it just, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, the whole parent thing of, uh, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I, I've heard that a lot from my parents. <laughs> I, I heard that like once a week for my parents. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's just how I feel. How I felt about the Martinsville race. Um, just like, man, like, ah, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope I'm not on an Island out there, but judging by the good race poll, (laughs) I don't think, I don't think I am on out on an Island because a lot of you listeners, uh, felt the same way. And, and, uh, just to let you know, we, uh, we gave our guesses last night right after the race on Slack because we knew that the poll would come out before our podcast began. Then that would be cheating for us to make a guess. Well, Jordan, you are a big winner this week because, uh, at the time of recording this podcast, now there's still, I guess about 12 hours to go in the poll. So could move a few percentage points, but, um, the poll is about uh, 17%. Yes. On the, was it a good race, which is close to tying or it, it may end up tying or being below uh, the worst race ever in the poll, which was the 2016 Brickyard 400. Um, that got 17%. Now on Slack, I said, my guess is 43%. I completely whiffed on it, but my reasoning was these days, it seems like the fan base is so optimistic. There's rarely a race even under 50%, even if I think it's not such a good race. Um, you then came back after I said, my guess is 43%. And you said, what's the lowest race ever? And I said, 2016 Brickyard 400 got 17%. And, uh, you then said, I'll say 30%. So, um, I think you were hedging a little bit, uh, thinking that it wouldn't be that insanely low, yeah. but you had a feeling that it was going to be pretty low and you were exactly right. Um, yeah. But it's all about expectation, totally because everybody was excited about this race. This is Martinsville, Saturday night, short track. There's a certain idea you have in your head. And this was so far away from move from that. And I don't know how – there's nothing you can pull. This isn't even like Richmond where if you go back and I rewatched the Richmond race, I thought the last 100 laps at Richmond were actually pretty good, especially with the strategy element and everything. It's kind of like in the moment you're kind of like, eh, well, you know. But looking back, it was actually pretty good. There's not much to pull from this. There really is. Like, I'm sorry. Unless you're a William Byron fan, I, I don't know how you can look at this race and say, wow, this is, this was great. Well, and then you, you know, you had the overtime, uh, restart there and you think, oh, okay, this is, this maybe this, maybe this will save it. Uh, there's going to be something crazy that happens, predictable, you know, classic NASCAR fashion where 
some wild thing happens at the end. There's some controversy and some fight or multiple overtimes or wreck the whole field or whatever it is. And, um, even the overtime restart, you're like, Oh, you know, Dylan, he's going to get in behind, uh, Byron. He's going to send him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't get a good restart. So then it was like, Oh, Logano, can he get there? Logano? No, he, he couldn't get there. Yeah. So then Byron just change everything. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought we were going to have, it, it, honestly, it reminded me of the Friday nights at Cindy's series race, which wasn't a, excuse the last like 10 laps of that race was not a great race. Like Ty Gibbs dominated that race way too many cautions. And it was just like, eh, okay, this is what it is. But at the end, no one's talking about that. Everyone's just talking about the wild finish and then the fight afterwards. I thought we were going to see something like that yesterday in the cup race where eh, the race was not that exciting, but uh, Logano moved Byron and Byron's mad or something, you know, Dylan, you know, Dylan's aggressive. Like you just had, you had the kind of elements there, some craziness to happen and it, and it didn't, but I thought the finish was going to end up saving the race. Yeah. Especially because we've been talking about how the culture has changed now oh, yeah. so much in NASCAR with these guys being, it's completely accepted to just knock somebody out of the way. It seems like, and if, if there's any place to do it, uh, without feeling bad at all, it'd be Martinsville. So to see Dylan, you know, I was picturing Dylan's just going to drive the drive in there and, you know, turn three of the last lap and just send Byron and win the race and get in the playoffs. And I don't think people would have been too mad about that. Honestly, like people would have been like, okay, yeah, that's what you have to do now. But, uh, he just, he never got that chance. Um, let's talk about Byron before we talk about the Xfinity race and stuff, because I definitely want to talk about the fight and all that. But, um, you know, another thing, I guess, you know, the, the first time or the, uh, the, the different winner streak ends, um, we talked about, oh, is there going to be 16 different winners with there may still be, but, um, Byron is the first race, uh, winner this season to, uh, do it twice. So he's, uh, the only one with two right now. And honestly, you know, we keep, we've been waiting for his breakout year. We've said on the podcast, when's this guy going to step up and you know, all the stuff. Well, he, he's doing it, Jordan. I mean, he's, he looks confident. He looks like he really is smooth, um, mistake free. Uh, you, you don't, you don't watch William Byron leading a, a race now and go, uh, I, I just don't think he's going to be able to stay up there. Something's going to happen. Or, you know, he's, uh, you know, you kind of feel optimistic, like, wow, he's, he's got this under control. That's a big change for him. I feel like he's, he's on the verge of, uh, you know, doing something big and, and really, um, asserting himself this year. I don't think people understand how little experience William Byron has driving race cars. And he really didn't start until, you know, he was a teenager, mid late teenagers and how he has gotten better significantly year after year. And his growth is exceptional. He is a remarkable talent. And I thought Chad Knauss had a really good point in the broadcast yesterday and how, now that Byron is kind of out doing some other things, he's running a lot of short track races, late models, stuff like that, and he's winning and having success. It's just giving him more success to like, hey, I can do this. I'm good. And, you know, last year he had a you know, first-year crew chief in the Cup Series, and it, you could see that there was kind of some growing pains there. And Byron, frankly, should have won more races than he did last year. Just circumstances worked against them. or they made mistakes? That kind of thing. But this is a guy who has all of the talent to be a one of those – dominant great drivers that we're looking at going that this is the guy to beat for the championship year after year he's got to put it together we're starting to see that though and this he's a guy who's good at just about everywhere and it's going to be shocking if 
he doesn't become one of the dominators and, and the guy that you're chasing for the championship. And that may sound like hyperbole and everything, but it's not. I mean, he is that good. He's got that potential. Yeah. I mean, um, Kyle Petty on the NASCAR and NBC podcast, mm-hmm. which I also love Nate Ryan's podcast. Um, few, few weeks ago was really, um, in high praise of, of William Byron talk about, you know, he's the future there and, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, he's, he's going to be the guy that stays there maybe longer than anybody Kyle Petty felt. Um, and it was interesting to hear him at the time say that, but I think he's turning out to be sort of exactly right where, uh, you know, Byron, I mean, he's still a young guy and he's just, he's really just getting started with his career. And, and, uh, you know, the fact that, I mean, it, it you still have to go out to at Martinsville and, and put yourself in position, not make mistakes and, and drive well. And, uh, he did that. So, um, it's early in the season. He already has two wins and, and we'll see where he goes from here. It's the sky's the limit and it's going to be, you know, if you're going to rank, I don't know. I mean, they did this on Nate's podcast. Like you said, it's like they, they ranked of, of who the most important driver is at Hendrick and, is it Byron? I mean, I think it's still Kyle Larson because he's Kyle Larson, but it's hard not to believe that Byron can 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 take that next step and be the guy that everybody thinks he can. Well, and you thought you looked at um, the race, Chase Elliott dominating, you know, the first 185 uh, laps of that race without anybody else leading a lap. Um, and you thought, wow, maybe it's Chase's night. They look really good. And, you know, once he lost the lead on a pit stop, that was it. You know, like he, he could just never get his track position back. And, and I guess that's why, you know, even though like you look at teams like Gibbs struggled last night and, uh, some of the other teams, you know, you're just like, Oh, I wonder if this is, you know, but the, the track position was such an important thing. Like look at Cole Custer, right? He was, he was a top five car and then he got a penalty and then he was kind of like never heard from again. Um, so I, I just don't think you can take that much from, I mean, look, you know, Gibbs, I'm sure would have liked to have a better performance as a team. It wasn't, it wasn't a good night for them. Three of their cars were, uh, at least one lap down and uh five time Martinsville winner, Denny Hamlin is three laps down for no reason other than they just weren't good. But, um, I don't know. I just think that was such a race that was so hard to pass that how do you really judge off that? So anyway, We'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see where it goes from here, but let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the Xfinity race because obviously that was the, the talking point of the weekend. Really? Um, Ty Gibbs looks like he's going to do it again. Late restart. Um, Brandon Jones, his teammate ends up winning and then Ty Gibbs can still go for the hundred thousand dollars, except he gets bodied by Sam Mayer with Landon Castle on the bottom uh, he and Sam Mayer both lose out on hundred thousand dollars, uh, for the dash for cash. AJ Allmendinger gets it instead. Ty Gibbs then, you know, shows a complete lack of self-awareness basically because he roughs people up all the time and he roughed people up at, you know, he roughed his teammate up at Richmond to win that race and said, I have one coming. But then in the moment where he gets it sort of returned to him, not by his teammate, but by somebody else, he, you know, loses his cool, marches down to Sam Mayer, confronts him. And then of course, you know, the the whole thing about keeping his helmet on, uh, then throws the punches. 
uh, just, you know, just not a good look for you. The helmet Ty. thing bother you? The helmet thing bothers me. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I watched this. I was there. Like he did try to take off the helmet. Like there was a moment where he did start to go take off the helmet. And then he had, then mayor and him got pushy shovey. And it was like, everything happened so quick. So I, I have a, I don't know. Like I, it's not like he purposely is like, I'm keeping my helmet on. and I'm going to go punch him. And it's like, he did try to take it off. Like, and it just, everything just kind of erupted really quick. So I, I have a hard time holding that against him. Uh, well, he's the one that threw the punches. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not, but at that point he's supposed to hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to throw a punch. Let me take off my helmet here, guys. Hang on. And then, you know, and like, you know, it, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, he's the one that threw the punch. It's not like he got punched. Okay. So Sam, before Sam, you, I'm going to punch you, Sam, Sam, I'm going to punch you. Just going to let you know, I'm going to punch you. I need to take off my helmet though first. Cause people are going to criticize me for that. That's not how it works. Like these things happen so quick. I don't think it happened that quick. I mean, it happened really quick. He, he marched down there. They start arguing. They start they talking were like we're almost right next to each other. It wasn't like he stormed like while they're, while it. they're arguing, he could take off his helmet. He was trying. I mean, he literally, you can watch him try to do it. He took off his Hans device. I mean, it's like, he, he's the one that instigated it. He could have taken his helmet uh, off before no, he walked Sam, down there in the first place. Uh, Sam, like Sam, Sam shoved Joe, uh, Joe, Sam shoved Ty before Ty subbed Sam. Say he that got thing. out of his car and walked straight to Sam. Oh, let's stop. Come on. Like, what do I'm you not, mean? You I, take I, your I, helmet like, off the, before the, you go down there. There, sure. They're, they're, again, they were parked right next to you. I'm not, there's a lot of things to criticize Ty Gibbs about, about what happened Friday night. Him taking off the helmet to me is like, you know, it's toward the bottom of the list. Um, okay. Well, I think there's and two big things. By the things. way, if you're Sam Mayer, like, grab this helmet. Like, what are you doing here? Like, grab him by the helmet. At, at, like, I, I talked to so many people about this in the garage, and they all said the same thing. Like, Sam, just grab him by the helmet, and you control him. Like, you know. Like, you, you, like a face mask penalty kind of thing? It's, it's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like NFL game when you get guys get into scuffles, they grab the helmet. It's like, you do that, and you've got them, you've got them wrapped up. I guess. I don't think he thought he was going to get punched. Or he would have. You're in a post race scrum, and the guy's coming to confront you. I mean, at that point, you've got to have like a, a realize, like, okay, things could get ugly here. This could escalate. All right, I'm not like a fight analysis, uh, fight analyst. I mean, fight analysis. I'm not a fight analyst, but um, it seems to me that typically, when you see people exchange punches, the punches happen right away as soon as you get down there. So like. The guy goes and he starts throwing punch like Kyle Bush with Joey Logano at that Vegas. One, yep. He walked right up to him and started punching. Clint Boyer goes up to Ryan Newman's car and leans in and immediately starts throwing punches or whatever, right? This in this case, you, they had like Brad Keselowski whole- and Joe and Jeff Gordon, there was not punches thrown right away. It took Kevin Harvick to instigate that, and then that's when the punches throw. So I mean there's there's a lot of ways you can cherry pick this. Well, nobody insti- nobody came in and shoved one of them in no, from behind just, things happen. It's just, it, you know, uh, no, all I'm saying is I don't think Sam expected to get punched because they're having conversation first. There was no punches thrown. And then the punches came very much after, uh, the, in my opinion anyway, but you said that's not something to criticize him about. That's fine. Um, but I, I do think you can criticize him for the, you know, look, I don't have a problem with, as I said on last week's podcast, Ty Gibbs, um, you know what he did at Richmond, I thought fair game. It's the last lap, last corner, teammate or not, he bodied him out of the way. He won the race. And you know, Ty Gibbs has, has gotten into incidents multiple times with various drivers. 
that's how he races. That's fine. But you have to be, you have to understand when it comes back to you. You just have to be aware it's going to come back to you. And when, when it does, you can't react like, oh, I can't believe this kind of thing. Like, how dare you do this to me? I'm going to fight you for this because that's how you race. So you, you know what I mean? Like you just, uh, I don't know. You're going to give, you got to take. Yeah. And he, I, I just felt like that was a lack of self-awareness. Now I, I will say this because I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I think I keep coming back to he's 19. He's mm-hmm. 19. He's 19. He's 19. I keep thinking that over and over again. That's why, that's and, why I said last week on the podcast, you know, it's, um, I just think about, I'll tell you some stories, Jordan. You're, you're, you're going to love these because Ooh, story time with Jeff. That's my favorite. I was, I used to have very, 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 very fierce rivalries with my friends when I was, um, 18, you know, like Our senior in high school. Right? Now, but okay. Well, I used to be like a terrible sport. I mean, I, I broke a pool cue in half over my knee. Um, I locked my friend out of the house after he beat me at basketball. Um, I, uh, chucked a, um, <laughs> I mean, I find this so hard to believe. I know you to be such a level-headed, rational, like calm person. Like, I, I honestly you never get no, fired up or anything. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I, find that, I would not be this poor of a sport well. now. I wouldn't, I really wouldn't like in my older age and I'm embarrassed to, you don't no, believe me, but I, no, I wouldn't, I <laughs> but you know, I, you know, I look back on, on how I was at 18, 19 years old and you know, it was like, especially if I lost and then somebody talked trash to me, that would like set me off. Like, um, one time oh, I, I lost it, I lost at mini golf and my friend basically like rubbed it in my face and I did like a Kyle Bush walk out to the parking lot to my car and we had rode there together and I was going to, I was, if he didn't catch up with me, I was going to leave. Like what he caught up with you. I was a kid. That's my point. I was 18, 19 years old, whatever. I guess I was 18 probably. So Ty Gibbs is a little older than that. But my point is you're not fully, uh, you're not a fully mature, developed adult at age 19. You do a lot of stuff as a teenager that you look back on, you go, Ooh, gosh, I can't believe I did that. Like, how, was that even me? So, you know, we're, we're watching a kid who's been thrown in spotlight. Now it's different because he, he has a standard of professionalism to uphold because he's in the public spotlight. He's got sponsors. He's got a race team. Um, you know, it's perhaps different than me snapping a pool cue over my knee, um, or kicking a hole in the wall when I lost at Tetris. But, (laughs) but the similar emotions are probably still there. And that, that's all I'm saying. So I, I, I'm not saying I excuse it, but I guess it's a little bit more understandable when you see like something like that happen with a younger kid and he is a kid. He's closer to my toddler's age than he is to my age, Ty Gibbs. So, you know, it's, uh, we have to remember that we're not dealing with the most rational, rational, reasonable, uh, circumstances, I think. So anyway, that's, that's all I'm saying. But he, my point is, I guess, that can't happen. You know, it, it can't happen consistently. You've got to just, uh, you can learn you, from this. You it's, said last week, you know, he should go all the way full heel. And I said, well, you know, it's hard, it's hard to be the bad guy. And I, and I said the same thing on Twitter. You know, I, I've come around to your viewpoint now. I think he should just own it. 
Yeah, it, at this point. And I'll tell you this, uh, listening on Friday night, I was on the grid on Friday night and he, they introduced his name. It was a, it was Kyle Bush-esque booth. Like if you were to put the two, you know, introductions next to each other, the volume of booze is almost the same. It's, 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 it's up there. And there, there's nothing he can do. There's not anything he could do to change people's opinion at all. Like it, this is it. This is how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. At this point, I mean, he could, and I, I wrote this in my top five um, for the athletic. I mean, there's, he could have the rest of his Xfinity race career uh, until he gets to cup, which inevitably is going to happen sooner than later. Um, he could have a completely incident free existence in the Xfinity series and people are still going to view him on what's already happened. So that first impression has been made. People have already made up their minds about him. Um, and most of it's negative. It feels like from the fan sentiment. So, you know, at this point, if you can deal with it, if you have thick enough skin, I, I say, go ahead and go for it. However, the problem with that is, you know, his, his grandparents, you know, he's talked about his grandmother, doesn't like when he's, you know, a hothead on TV. His grandfather doesn't want him to be that way. And he's the team owner. Um, he's obviously, I mean, look at him in interviews. He tries hard, like to be polite. Um, you know, thanks for interviewing me, Regan, he says, or like he'll, he'll apologize very quickly after he does something. So that tells me he's like, ah, like I'm, I don't want to be this way. I want to be liked. I want to come. I don't want to come across this way, but the problem is he is already coming across that way. So why not just like skip the apologies and just go all out and be like, yeah, I, I have the fastest car and I'm going to run you over and I'm not going to lose my job because, um, I, I, my grandfather is the team owner and you know, I'm going to rough people up, but I'm going to win because he is going to win a lot. And he's a good driver too. That needs to be, he's extremely talented. He's, he's going to be around for the next couple decades. He's just, Easy. you know what I mean? So why not just be like, you know what? Take it or leave it. This is me. But I, again, I think that's so hard for especially a kid to do. You don't want to feel like the whole world's against you. You know what I mean? And especially if your family is like, hey, this isn't how we want you to act or whatever, then that's even more pressure. So it, he's in a tough spot in a way, but it's a lot of it's of his own making. And, uh, that's unfortunate, but I think, I think the criticism that he got Friday night though, was, was deserved in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be aggressive driver, you've got to be okay. When other people get aggressive with you, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. That's the, that, that's where I take exception with. And if you want to be that way, that's fine. But you just, you know, you got to walk the walk and he didn't do that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Well, after the NASCAR race, uh, it was a, an odd doubleheader because the Formula One race started at 1 a.m. Eastern. And um, by the way, thank goodness that there wasn't an extra 100 laps of that Martinsville race. Uh, that, that turned out to be the best thing about the night, but if there was, it would have run probably right into the formula one race. Cause by the time with the rain delay, Martinsville ended, uh, and then you, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that long of a wait really for formula one. So it was interesting late night, Saturday night, doubleheader for those of us in the United States. But, uh, you know, people were saying, well, there's going to be more lead changes, uh, in formula one than there was in, uh, in the Martinsville race. Well, that didn't happen because Charles Leclerc led all 58 laps of the Australian Grand Prix. However, I thought it was still somewhat of a compelling race. Um, and I'll tell you why. And it's really hit home, uh, with the drive to survive, uh, effect being felt now in my own household, because Jordan, uh, this season of drive to survive, uh, my wife, Sarah, has watched it with me. Um, and she has never watched a formula one race before last night late when she stayed up to watch, uh, Australia with me. She really likes, uh, Leclerc now because, uh, I think she thinks he's quite attractive. Um, and she liked him in drive to survive. She likes and and she likes all the storylines that go into it. And I think what drive to survive has done is made it okay to not just think about the winner, which is something that NASCAR lacks. So for instance, late in the Australia race, Alex Albon was running P7 for Williams. Sarah, again, who's never watched an F1 race, is saying, there's a Williams car in the top 10. This is so great for them. They might score points. You know, she's engaged. Drive to Survive has made it so that the midfield teams and the backmarker teams can have their own storyline and make that worth watching, even though Charles Leclerc is winning by 20 seconds and running away with the race and leading every single lap. But it can still be compelling because of the other storylines involved. NASCAR, we're so focused on what's happening for the lead. We just talk about lead changes. We talk about the race winner. We don't really talk about, you know, oh, this guy got a top 10 as much because it's just not as important. Like there's so many points throughout the season. There's so many races uh, it doesn't, you know, really change anything. And there's points all the way through the entire field in NASCAR, unlike in F1, where you only get points for the top 10. So, but the, the side effect of that is it's, it's given additional storylines for people to keep track of during a race. The races are short enough, um, so that even when it's strung out or whatever, um, you know, that's, people still, you know, it's, it's over in an hour and a half and, and really even the, the post-race stuff, the podium and everything was done within a two hour window. Um, it's, it's very watchable in, in that way. And so, uh, I, I think it's really interesting, but, uh, it's just seeing that kind of, you know, we talk about drive to survive. Oh, that's got created a lot of new fans, but seeing it firsthand with my own wife suddenly being an F1 and then when's the next race? Oh, I said, it's not two till two weeks. Oh, Dang, she's disappointed. 
she's into it, you know? So I, I just found that really interesting. Anyway, uh, what was your, what was your impressions, uh, of the Australia race? Ferrari's here to stay. And it's just so atypical of what we've seen out of Ferrari the last few years where they have been self-inflicted mistake after self-inflicted mistake, and they have found ways to lose races and throw away points. They have really done a great job of not only just building a fast race car, but a race car that's reliable, which is something that Red Bull can't say right now. And to go out there and to put together a flawless race where you win the pole, you lead the most, you lead all of the laps, and then you win. This is this is how you win championship. This is how Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have done it through the years. And you look at what's going on with Red Bull right now and the reliability issues and, and Verstappen had his second DNF in, his, in three races. Um, they're building a points cushion that's it's that's going to be coming real handy later in the year because inevitably something is going to happen. I, I just am so impressed with Ferrari because I have always, I am the one who's always quick to criticize them and make jokes about them and how it looks like a clown show over there so many times. This is, this is a professional operation and they're doing exactly what they need to do. Yeah. I was trying to explain to Sarah last night that, you know, Hey, even though he has a 22nd lead, Ferrari always kind of does things yeah. to mess up. And when they were talking about he late in the race wanted to pit, from the lead and put on softs and go for fastest lap, which he already had at the time. And I was, I started telling Sarah, Oh, this is, this is it. This is where it's going to happen <laughs> because he's going to pit. Something's going to go wrong on their pit stop and Checo's going to win instead. And Ferrari's going to mm -hmm. give one away for, for trying to get an extra point when they didn't need to. And, and to their credit. Yes, exactly. That was like, Oh, yeah. but to their credit, they told Leclerc, no, we already have fastest lap. We don't think anybody can beat it and just finished the race. And he was like, but, oh, okay, but yeah. all right. And and that's what happened. And, and so he got, hit, you know, the grand slam, as they call it. He got pole. Uh, he won the race. He got fastest lap. Everything, I mean, it was just a perfect weekend for them, except for his teammate Carlos Sainz going in the gravel Oof. and DNFing. That hurts them in the Constructors' Championship, obviously. But uh, at least for, Le for Leclerc, um, he now almost has double the points as the second place person in the standings, which is George Russell. He has way more points than Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton combined, which despite Mercedes not looking so great in preseason testing, everybody still went into Bahrain thinking, well, it's probably still going to be maybe Max and Lewis, maybe Ferrari can get in there. But, um, you know, I don't think anybody thought Mercedes was going to be this far off at, at this point, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're off to a great start. I guess the question is, can they, can Ferrari maintain this? Can they keep it up throughout the season? It's, they got 20 more races. You'd think surely there's going to be some swings and, you know, Red Bull's going to fix their issues. Verstappen's not going to keep DNFing. I, I added it up by the way, if, um, Verstappen had gotten second place, uh, at Bahrain and Australia, instead of DNFing both of those, um, instead of, you know, he just, he has one win and two DNFs. He would have 61 points, which is 10 less than, um, Leclerc. So we'd be talking about, wow, this is really shaping up to be a max versus, uh, Leclerc battle all season, just like it was max versus Lewis last year. But, um, unfortunately for max, he's sixth in the standings below even Lewis, despite having a way faster car. So you'd think they're going to fix their, their issues. Um, you'd think Mercedes is going to get better at some point. So, and is Ferrari going to be able to keep delivering the speed week in and week out 
I don't know. It's a long season, and I think it's it's kind of jumping too far ahead. But certainly the start that they've gotten off to. I mean, the thing is, Leclerc's never done this before. Like, he had two career wins, so you can't say— And to win a championship, you're going to need at least five wins in a season. You know, maybe double-digit wins in some cases or something. You know, like, you're going to need a whole season of dominance. You can't just have a couple wins and say, all right, I'm the champion, and I'm going to podium the rest of the way. So they've got a long way to go, but it's it's certainly a fascinating start that I— I know you said Ferrari was going to be good this year, but did you think they were going to be this good, like, at this point? I thought they'd be in contention. I thought they'd win races, and I, and I wrote about. It. I said they could make a, a. They had a shot to finish second in the world, uh, the world man, the, the world manufacturer title. Um, I'm just impressed in how you, you let your opponent self destruct, and that's what Red Bull's kind of done. And Ferrari's gone out, and every single week we're going to get max points. We're going to max points. We're going to do it. If we have a second place car, we're going to finish second. If we've got a car that can win, we're going to win. And they're doing that. Yeah, inevitably along the way, things are going to happen. But that points lead is going to be huge. And if you can build up that gap now, it's going to help you get through the rough spots later. Max is still very much in this championship. I, I mean, two rough races to start the year, that's fine. It's going to happen. He, he can go off and win next four or five in a row. No one would blink an eye. And he can erase this gap in a, in a hurry. But Ferrari right now, to me, has staying power. And it's, it's hard not to think that they're going to be in this throughout. I have even less confidence in Mercedes than I did at the beginning of the year. Like Lewis Hamilton, what, what's going on there? Like, it's not just, I don't care that he finished by George Russell. We know that George is fast, but the qualifying hasn't been there. They haven't had speed in the races. He just is out of sync. Like there's just nothing there right now to look and say they're, they're close. Like they're finishing third. Uh, you know, Russell finished third yesterday. Uh, Lewis was fourth. Like it doesn't matter. Like they're just, they're off. And, I, even if they close the gap, the gap is too big right now to think that they're going to be anywhere in the ballpark uh, of being able to challenge Ferrari and Red Bull. The gap between second and third is ginormous, whereas the gap between third and fourth is pretty minuscule. Mercedes has a better chance of going backwards than they do going forward. Yeah, but if Mercedes can get both drivers uh, in the top four every week or something, or the sure. top five, but while one of their opponents... On, like. That's the thing, though. Like, they're having to count on Red Bull to, to have DNFs. It happened in Bahrain, where both Red Bulls had engine problems. That was the only way that they both finished up there. It happened again yesterday, where, like, Red Bull had a problem. And and that's fine if you can do that every week, but you're not going to win a championship that way in Formula 1. Yeah, well, we'll. See. I mean, you still it still feels like they're certainly going to fix their issues at some point, but it doesn't seem close. Now, by the way, I mean... Lewis would have finished on the podium yesterday had George Russell not got, gotten a very timely uh, free pit stop with one of the safety cars. Um, he was able, he hadn't pitted yet. He pitted and uh, he came out ahead of Lewis. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit different narrative if, if Hamilton still podiums, maybe not, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, they, they've clearly, clearly got some work to do. They're clearly the third best team well behind Ferrari and Red Bull at this point. I would even say, um, you know, depending on the track, Red Bull looks better at times. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, they didn't, you know, he didn't have anything for Leclerc yesterday, certainly Verstappen, but um, we'll see. We'll see how this, we'll see how this unfolds. By the way, um, little programming note I'm very excited about. Uh, did a 
12 questions interview with, with Checo, uh, from Australia, uh, this week. Very exciting, Jordan. Um, that'll be out in a couple weeks. Uh, this next 12 questions coming out on the athletic this week is actually with William Byron. So that's timely, uh, timely as, as was the Ross Chastain one a couple weeks ago. I'm getting kind of lucky with these, but um, I was going to say, if people want to be on your podcast, they basically are sure to win a cup race. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe Checo's going to go to Italy in a couple of weeks and, uh, the time, the timing will work out perfectly. But anyway, that was pretty fun. That was, that was cool. Uh, to do 12 questions with an F1 driver had to tweak a few of them. I, I ask you your opinion on kind of some of them, like, uh, for instance, you know, um, you can't really ask an F1 driver, like how they feel about people reclining their seats because they're flying all like international business class, if not private jets, like Max Verstappen's plane that came out on the internet, uh, this week, or at least I saw it going around. You don't think they're flying coach anywhere? Yeah. So I, 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 you know, they probably have lie flat seats with like those nice suites on Emirates airlines and stuff like that, wherever they fly. So I don't think they care about somebody leaning their seat back. I was thinking uh, like Lewis Hamilton sitting middle row and coach. I, I can see that. It's very, very believable. For some 20-hour flight to Australia, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I get another row of, can I get another bag of peanuts over here, please? <laughs> yeah. So uh I had, you know, switch a couple questions up like that. But it was cool. I mean, Red Bull reached out uh to both of us. Really, they they wanted you to do an interview. Uh, I think you have maybe coming up or you're gonna be doing that. You did one last year with Christian Horner. They reached out yeah. to you and they said Hey, uh, they, we, we think your, your 12 questions are, are cheeky. I think was there was the, the British term or something. They, uh, we like those and we'd like to get, uh, Checo on there. And I said, well, that'd be amazing. I don't even get, I don't even get really like NASCAR drivers offered up. Got to ask for NASCAR <laughs> drivers, but then F1 driver like falls in your lap. So I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it. I'm not saying it's like most amazing thing, but, uh, I, I was excited to have that opportunity. So it's good. It's, uh, it's nice to kind of expand the universe a little bit and go beyond NASCAR and, and talk to about some other people. And I mean, I'm very curious to see how he answered a few of these questions. I know you kind of ran through, uh, what you were going to ask him, but I, I didn't hear the responses yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun. So anyway, that comes out in a couple of weeks. Um, if you listen to the 12 questions or read them on the athletic and, uh, yeah, should we talk about some some IndyCar stuff, Jordan? Let's do it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So after a slow start to the Long Beach Grand Prix, didn't look like it was going to be that eventful of a race. The second half of the race definitely <laughs> got spiced up. Um, it looked like Colton Herta was going to run away with it. He had the <sighs> fastest car, it seemed like. And then he got behind on pit strategy. Then there was like an opening um, for him to like make up some time right before he pitted. Mm-hmm. And he put it in the wall, Jordan. I mean, uh, unforced error there. A lot. Can we just be honest? This is a, a pattern with Colt. Like, young driver, really talented. We saw it in Nashville. We've seen it other times where, like, the mistakes, he's not – they haven't completely smoothed out yet. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, well, no, I I understand what you're saying for all the talk of like, hey, yeah, like he's, he's, he's bound for F one and like right. he's not he's nowhere near ready for F one. He will get eaten alive. Like he, you think he, so? He, I mean, he he has he's got, he has speed. He makes mistakes. There's plenty of F one drivers that make mistakes. There's a lot of guys who've got speed, but you've got to be really you you have to be pretty darn close to flawless to, to be competitive over there on a regular basis. It's uh, he just makes a lot of mistakes that are unforced. Like, and it just happens again and again. It's like, and to, to me, it's like, I want to see him put together a full dominant IndyCar season from beginning to end, win a bunch of races, win the championship, or at least be in championship contention until the end. We haven't seen that really. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, he, sh- I was going to say he should have won today, but on the other hand, like, it wasn't his fault that they got behind on no, on the pit but strategy, but you've got to be young. You've got to be smart enough to know that. Okay, got a fast race car, still can still can do something here. Right, he should have podiumed at yeah. a minimum. Right, at a minimum. Yes, and he took himself out of a podium, so he probably would have been. He might have been P two, yeah, uh, maybe P three. But you know, look, New Garden, um, you know, ends up coming out. He had a really exciting exchange there when he came oh, out of the pits ahead of Alex Pillow on cold tires and Pillow made a couple attempts to pass him. <laughs> Newgarden had fantastic defense, um, to, to, you know, to hold him off. And, and then, um, Grosjean got in the picture and it was like, wow, I, it felt like Grosjean was going to win the race. It felt like he was going to pass, um, Newgarden. He was right there. Newgarden, Grosjean, Pillow were running one, two, three. It was really exciting. And uh, Newgarden held him off. I mean, Grosjean seemed like he threw everything he could at him, but he couldn't get by. And I, I thought that was interesting it, just in the sense of, I don't know if you remember, but in in my 12 questions last year with Newgarden, he got, it, it kind of made some waves that went beyond the normal 12 questions because he said IndyCar drivers are basically just as good as F1 drivers, but it's just they're marketed differently. And, um, but, you know, it's really competitive. And we just saw Newgarden, um, hold off, uh, F1 caliber talent there in Grosjean, uh, with the faster, you know, uh, equal, equal cars. So, and, and Grosjean had better tires essentially. So, um, that was a, that was, you know, Newgarden drove a great race. He deserved to win that. Uh, I, I still would like to see Grosjean win an IndyCar race. I think that'd be do a lot for IndyCar and it get a lot of, a lot of the F1 fans from Europe paying attention as well. But, uh, exciting, Long Beach Grand Prix for uh, some of those, you know, some of those are not always good races. No, I mean, Long Beach Grand Prix tends to be more of a spectacle than an actually great race, kind of like Monaco in a lot of respects, because it's just it's hard to pass, let's be honest. But I thought it was a really great, it, the second half of the race was really good, tense, as you said, you recap those moments with Alex and, and Joseph there. And and Joseph is, is fascinating. Now, Penske's got three wins on the year uh, coming off the season where they were a little bit off last year and Ganassi was, was significantly better. And it looked like uh, the McLaren team, had kind of usurped them as well. But Joseph is starting to really come into his own. I mean, and I say this in the sense that, to me, start over. He's a two-time champion, and it's like almost he's underappreciated a little bit, but he's starting to get that a little bit more of a recognition of, like, this guy's career is really starting to add up. You know, he's got two championships. He's finished runner-up two other times. He's in the championship picture this year. He's leading the title. It's like he's got a really good chance to win a third Indy five Indy car championship. The only thing he's missing is an Indy five five hundred title from his resume. Um, this is this is kind of we're starting to see him kind of a you know kind of a conversation here of where he kind of places himself uh, you know 
among uh, among guys who do this on a, a, a yearly basis. So three straight wins to open the season for Team Penske. First time they've won the first three races since 2012. Back-to-back wins now for Newgarden after he had nipped uh, Scott McLaughlin at the line in Texas when it looked like McLaughlin was going to win that one. Um, so yeah, now it starts to set up, uh, you know, it's, it's not totally Indy 500 time yet, but it's getting closer certainly. And, uh, you know, on my mind, of course, related to that is Jimmy Johnson, who had a really tough weekend in Long Beach. I think he hit the wall three times, uh, or at least the tires. Yeah. Um, Once once in the race, he was already a lap down in the race when he hit, uh, hit the tires to end end his day. But, uh, obviously in, in practice, he broke a bone in his hand, ended up racing with it. Hopefully that won't require any, any type of additional action or surgery or anything like that. And it can just heal up. Um, I mean, obviously if it was good enough to race with it today around a street course, you'd think he'll be okay for all things indie, but, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously challenging for him, um, on these street courses. And it's a shame because, you know, he's much has been made of how he used to like peek through the fence at Long Beach and, you know, sort of where his racing dreams began and, and he's gotten to race there now, but just have disappointing weekends there. Uh, you know, you hate to see that. Um, you know, it, 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 sometimes it, it feels like, yes, he's, he's, he's made some gains on the street course or road courses. And then he has setbacks and you're just like, man, but on the ovals, as we saw at Texas, he's right there. I mean, he's going to be competitive. So I feel like indie oval stuff can't get here soon enough for him. And, uh, We'll just, we'll just see how it all shakes out. I do want to think, I mean, I think Colton Herta dropped to 11th in the standings now. Um, so he's kind of out of the championship running at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting this next month or so to see how things shake out IndyCar or Indy 500 double points. Uh, we'll have a better idea of the championship picture after that, but, uh, you're right. It could be, it could be a Penske new garden type season. It's certainly, certainly shaping up that way so far. Yes, and and again, Joseph to me is an incredible talent, and it's gonna be interesting. The thing, and again, it's the one thing he's missing is the big thing, and that's the Indy 500. And if you can win that, his career is really gonna kind of take on a different scope. Talking about Jimmy Johnson, man, you just you want to go through weekends just clean, like don't wreck the car. And if you're gonna wreck the car, don't do it three times. It's just like it's that's that's tough. It puts it's a burden on the crew. It puts you in these bad spots. Um, we saw at Texas how great it was for him and how, you know, how confident he looked and comfortable he looked. And it's just a night and day difference between him on the ovals versus him on a street or road course right now. And it, at some point you, you think it's going to flip and he's going to start figuring it out, but then you've got a weekend like this and you're like, okay, all right, <laughs> we'll see. He's still got a way to go. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's really hard. Kudos to him for even trying this and doing this, uh, when it's, you know, he has far, far, far less experience in these type of cars than anybody else in the field. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's learning in progress. It seems to have good spirits about it and good attitude about it, but it's gotta be somewhere deep down. It's gotta be demoralizing to go through a weekend like that, especially when you're, you know, hyping up long beach, you know, Southern California, my home track kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know for, for, for me personally, I, it'd be tough to keep sticking it out, but, now that he's doing the ovals and stuff. Um, well, we know, you, know you. You'd be ranting and raving. You already explained you've got a temper problem, and you'd probably be putting holes in the walls. That was when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, um, sure. 
<laughs> do I ever do I ever rant and rave on this podcast? No, I don't, no, I don't think no, so. no, no, not never, so. never on the podcast, never off the podcast. No, very calm and mild, and you know, very congealed. You'd be you'd be happy to know that I'm a, a very calm parent, though. Like I, I hope you know that. Like, uh, yeah, I always thought, you know, um, man, if I if I get fired up about this kind of stuff, like when I have kids and they're <laughs> pushing my buttons. I like you, you should see, I, I take it in stride when like my three-year-old and one-year-old are acting up or something or not listening. I'm pretty chill. Like I'm, I'm proud of myself for that, but, uh, you're right. I mean, I have opinions. I have opinions. That's all. Oh, dude, I didn't really, oh, we're talking about your opinions. I didn't know you had opinions. <laughs> anyway, Jordan, there should be more opinions next week on this podcast. When we talk yes. about the Bristol, Dirt race. Oh my goodness! I have I have I have resisted saying anything to you about Bristol for like the last two weeks, and I am so excited. I have told people this. I am so excited for this week. I'm so excited for um, your top five column, which comes out every Monday. I'm so excited for the podcast. I'm just I am just excited to hear what you have to I, say. I think you're going to be disappointed. I think it's going to be a huge letdown for you because. Let's let's forecast this, okay? So one of two things is going to happen. Okay. It's either going to be a better race than last year, and more people will like it, and I'll have to say, you know what? It's 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 working for what it is. Enough people like it. They're going to stick <laughs> with it. I don't like it. I wish that they wouldn't cover up Bristol with dirt um, because I think that's better as a pavement race. But they're determined to do this. They're determined to make some Easter spectacle. You know, NASCAR goes the entertainment route, whatever. Like, I, it's just how it is. And, you know, people liked it. I was wrong or, or whatever, right? Um, I don't think it's going to be spectacular, but I think it could be better than last year. The other thing that could happen is it could be a complete clown show. And, but when that, if that happens, I, I can't rant and rave about it um, and oh, be like, yeah, that'll stop you. Well, no, I mean, I can't get fired up about it because I'm just going to be like, man, like, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for them to change this? Like, this just doesn't need to happen. Like this experiment should be over. So it's just, I, I don't see myself getting too fired up about it either way. I don't like it in the first place. What's the point of spending all this energy on, I mean, it's, it's not even well, healthy for a, me to get mad about it. You know, it's not healthy to get about mad. Like 90% of the things you get mad about is not healthy to get mad about. It doesn't stop you. <laughs> You know what though? I feel like some things, if I get mad enough about it, I, I can, not that I can make change, but you know, this, this is just out of my, you know, Fox SMI, they're all determined to just go forward with this circus. Here's a question and, for yeah. Uh -huh. All right. What would it take for you to, for, to happen next Sunday for you to say, you know what? This worked. This was fun. I get it. This is exciting. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to them doing this again. Oh yeah. Well, um, El Eldora, an Eldora type truck race. Um, there's been some really great truck races there that had some really fun moments. Um, that were really exciting and tense and, and, uh, fun to watch and just left you with a smile on your face. Uh, I'm not too, I'm not stubborn enough to that. If it's a good race that I'm not going to acknowledge that I'll, I'll definitely, I, I'll be glad to say I'm wrong. I mean, it'd be embarrassing, but um, I'll be glad to sit here next week if it's a great race or a good race and say, hey, that was a good race. I enjoyed that. Um, but 
ultimately it just comes down to, I don't think that they should have, they should cover up NASCAR's best track with dirt. I'm not totally opposed to dirt at a dirt track for NASCAR. I just don't think this is the way to do it. I don't think, you know, we saw the videos of Stuart Friesen testing this week and it was a pretty heavy track. And they said, um, oh yeah, Stuart Friesen tested like a mesh windshield type thing. So there's a possibility maybe they'll use that and it's not happening. And which means they're not going to be able to make the track heavy, which means it's going to get dried out. Okay. Like, because there's all these, you know, uh, 36 stock car is going to be on it. And, um, you know, it, it's just going to, they're going to be running it in. It's a long race and the track's going to, you know, it's going to lose its moisture. Um, and that doesn't make for good dirt racing, at least from what I understand. So, you know, if they take the windshields out, I think that changes the way that they can do the track prep, but that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. So even what we saw with that teaser video of Stuart Friesen testing, which I was like, Ooh, that looks better. Uh, apparently is not, they're not going to be able to prep the track that way, or the windshields are going to get completely covered with mud. So anyway, uh, you know, this can be let next week's discussion, but I'm, I'm God, just not, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited. No, I, I don't think you're, you know what you're, I'm going to be determined to make next week's podcast, the most bland, boring podcast and not get myself in trouble. That's going to be my goal. It's good to have goals. Um, Doesn't mean you're going to achieve it. I want to be 10 feet tall tomorrow too. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously not super excited about the race. In fact, I'm going to be in Charlotte for a wedding on Saturday uh, for my sister-in-law is getting married. The whole family is going out. And instead of instead of staying for the Bristol race and just driving up there Sunday, I'm flying back home because yeah, I just stay don't, with me. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. I just don't want to be there. I'm just not. I It just drives me nuts. I don't like it. I don't like the concept. The whole thing pisses me off. And, uh, see, I'm already, I'm already getting mad. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not, I'm not. It's just, it's not up to me. It's not my track. It's just, you know what? If people like it, they like it. Great, great for them. I know some very reasonable people who are very level-headed race fans, um, who are going to the Bristol dirt race. Uh, they're they're attracted by the the spectacle of it, the show of it, whatever the promise of the racing is. They they want to go. So, you know what? Everybody go have a good time. I'll say what I thought about the race afterwards, and that's it. Like that, that's all I want to say about it. Can't wait. Next week's gonna be fun. We might have to be like an uncensored version of. They'll have like the normal podcast. You're not gonna get like, it. You're gonna be so disappointed. You're gonna be like, that's it. Everybody's tuning in. They're gonna be like, oh, I can't wait to hear. It. Yeah. It's gonna be like. They're going to be like, oh, that's it. Wow. He just didn't really say anything. That's okay. it. Okay. I'm telling you, you're not going to. You're so cute when you think this. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, on that note, let's wrap things up for this week. Fun conversation about uh, Martinsville, F1, and IndyCar. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for all the feedback after last week's podcast. We got some very nice messages with you from yeah. you guys. Uh, I What? I saw, I can't tell you that too. Uh, a big thank you to our listeners. And there's so many people that every time I go to the racetrack, they come up to me and they say nice things and they compliment me and they compliment you and the show. And it really is a cool thing that uh, we have going here. And I'm i uh, I'm very appreciative of all the kind words. No, it's, it's great. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very rewarding to do that. And, uh, you know, considering we're the six best, NASCAR podcast, by the way, somebody asked me, uh, how, how do you, what, what's, why are you saying that? Um, we, I, I, we don't have any numbers or anything like that. We're, we're just making a joke that, uh, there's other podcasts that are more high profile. Um, 
we, we don't actually know that or not. We, we might not even be the sixth best, Jordan. <laughs> could be higher, could be lower. Don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll never know the way podcasts we Wasn't it somewhere we like not included on some list or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think if you Google like top NASCAR podcasts or something, uh, there's like 30 NASCAR podcasts or something and we don't, we're not even on there at all. But I think we're not labeled as... NASCAR, maybe that's why I, I I don't know. Anyway, who whatever whatever the reason is, whoever's listening, we appreciate you listening. Uh, all of our nine of our top ten episodes, I believe, have come uh, this in twenty twenty two, including our off season episodes already. Um, I think only the uh, uh, only the uh, Phoenix Championship podcast from last year is among our top 10 most listened to. Otherwise, they've all been recent. So whatever, whatever, whatever reason, it continues to glow, grow. Uh, so thanks for those who are leaving ratings or reviews or, or whatever, or sharing it with your friends or word of mouth. It means a lot to us. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on The Tech.